Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, we are back. It's whiskey. Oh, it's witches. It is whiskey. Witches and wit, or witches, whiskey, and wit, or something. That's the name of my dumb show. It's 100 degrees today in California. There are five fingers of rye in a cup with 12 ice cubes as I try not to melt. It's bad here when it comes to heat, but that's just me whining. It's going to be, we have a great show. I'm really excited to have Lil Dorsey here, and I think she's already here because I've been pressing buttons like a crazy person, getting things queued up. And Lil's one of my favorite people in the entire greater pagan and witch world, mostly because Lil is, is a part of so many worlds. She's also my favorite person to eat diner food with at 2 a.m. in New Orleans, I think. Ari's not here, so I can say that out loud. Hi, Lilith. Hello. Tonight, It's nice to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. This is great. You're one of my favorite people, too. And, like, I love getting diner food with you and Ari at 2 a.m., man. Biscuits <laughs> and gravy and all of that. It's sad that we're not going to be able to do that this August. No, I know. I'm missing so many of the events that we usually do. I mean, I know they're going online, and we can uh, do things kind of from our own homes, but it is sad, you know, some of these I've been going to for decades and it's, it's going to be a real change to not be there, you know? It's not quite the same though. I mean, I've done a couple of the online things. It's sort of fun, but it's not close (laughs) to really what we're used to. No, no. I feel like, you know, when you're at an event and somebody might be a little annoying or something, you wander off. Like, if you wander off and you're on camera, like I kept doing that the other night, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is a totally different message. <laughs> yeah, I've done that a couple times, too. It's like, oh, I don't have enough wine or whatever it is that I need to get through this workshop. Yeah. Let me yeah. let me go fill that yeah. up. I'm, I'm sorry, to leave, sorry to leave you here. Sorry to leave you hanging, but that's just how it's going to be. Um. You know, there's a lot to talk about tonight. You just had a book come out, uh, and I really want to talk about that, and I'm really excited to talk about that, but I feel like we have to start with sort of what's gripping America. And, you know, I'm, you know, we, you, and we're old enough that we've lived through some of these kind of events before. Uh, the protest, though, about George Floyd just feels different this time do you think it's different? Are we reaching a tipping point? Is something going to change or is this going to be a few weeks of protests and, you know, kind of the usual what happens, especially really what happens with the white community when it's done? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it is different. Obviously, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, I just, you know, haven't posted anything on Voodoo Universe for a while, but I finally, it exploded all today, and I wrote a rather long, ranty-type piece. But I keep thinking about Zora Neale Hurston, who, I mean, I'm sure you know, but maybe some of your listeners don't know. She, in addition to being a writer, was a voodoo priestess, you know, and one of my favorite quotes from her is, if we're silent about our pain, then they'll kill us and say we enjoyed it. You know, and and I've always really sort of that was burned in my mind, you know, and I think that there's so many things that, you know, we've all had to endure. And what I'm really proud of this next generation, you know, my daughter and my godkids and, you know, some of these millennials, I think that they are not as enforced invisible because of this systemic trauma. And I'm proud of that, that we can finally get to this point where they're, you know, action and and not being okay with the crumbs that we had to be okay with for so long, you know, and and I think people are finally waking up. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it has been really uh, very troubling to me, you know, like I, I have gotten so many requests in the past couple of days, like, uh, you know, oh, look, now we decided we need to pay attention to black women voices. So now we've found you, which is nice that they found me. But, you know, I've been here for 25 years already. You know, right. like it, it took this. It took, you know, somebody dying on the street in order for you to realize that maybe I should pay attention to black women voices or black voices in general. You know, that's that's really disheartening. Well, I I read your post when I saw that it went up because uh, – yeah, you know, it's sort of my job, but you're like one of the five bloggers that I actually do read at Pathios Pagan. Shh, don't tell anybody about that part. But okay. you know, there's a long there's a long said it list. on the air, but okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. There's a long list at the end of that post. I mean, George Floyd is not isolated by any means. You know, this has been going on. I mean, this has been going on for hundreds of fucking years. But you know, just seeing all those names kind of brought it home. Like how often this happens. I mean, I guess I'm aware of that, but I mean, just to see it in that stark, you know, fate font right in front of me to see all those names. Right. Yeah. And that was just a teeny piece, you know, that was just a teeny yeah. piece of the name, you know, uh, me and my best friend were here in New Orleans yesterday at, at the rally, you know, and there was somebody, you know, who died at the hands of police just in the past week that, you know, didn't get the press coverage that George Floyd did, you know, I mean, it's hard for me as a parent of a murdered child because I know that, you know, there's definitely differential access in the media to what gets coverage and what doesn't and and things like that. And, and, you know, for everybody who's out there like George Floyd, there's another hundred families who didn't get this kind of response, you know, and, and that makes me extra sad and extra angry. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, the media just kind of picks what it reports on. I think the living in the age of the cell phone, when we get video now, it really brings it home in a way that I don't think it was for previous generations. You and I are old enough. We remember Rodney King and how horrifying that was. And that for a lot of people, that was the first time they'd ever seen anything like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely easier now to get out the alternative stories as well, you know, because we're not relying on the mass media the way we were during Rodney King or something like that, you know. So access to information, that's one good thing it's actually done because we can see these pictures of George Floyd and his 
child and we can see these pictures of, you know, all these other things that he lived and was a wonderful person and, and not be able to dismiss it. Not that it would be okay under any circumstances by any means, but I think that that was the narrative that was forced upon it so many times. Oh, well, this person was in, you know, we've heard it so many different times. They were in the wrong place or they did the wrong thing or whatever, you know, and that's the other reason I put that list on the blog because it's like, oh, this person was, you know, sitting at home eating ice cream that, you yeah. know, like this, this is not how many people I've sat at home and ate ice cream this week. How many other people sat in their homes and didn't expect to be shot and killed, you know? So it, it really is brings it home on so many different levels that this is not right. And we just can't have it be like that anymore. You know, at this point with Twitter and social media, we do have a little more influence in shaping the narrative. And I think that's an important thing that you pointed out because a lot of times you'd hear, well, they were they were in the wrong place or, you know, they're criminal they have a criminal record, but that doesn't mean you get to fucking kill people, right? I mean but but now it's impossible uh for guilty cops to hide, or at least a lot harder than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's a lot harder for, you know, all the other cops to just stand there, to just, you know, go on like that, you know, because it's 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 wrong on so many levels. And I, I think, too, also, you know, my post said that thing about, you know, is it riot season already? I still have my COVID decorations up, you know, and I feel like we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And I think that, too, brought things to more extreme, you know, like, Every minute is life and death, but maybe the virus wouldn't get you, but the cops are going to get you. You know what I mean? Like, this, it's, it's not safe on, on so many levels, you know, and, and that's a scary thing to have to admit. I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of America has always been very content and very like, oh, everything's going to be fine for me, at least. And COVID brings it home that it's not that we are living in this yeah. very dangerous, very different and unprecedented time. You know, I'm just thankful we have such a, you know, sane and rational and great thinker as president. I couldn't even say that with a straight face on the radio. <laughs> that was so hard. <laughs> you know. I wish he would inject bleach and just be done with it, you know. Yeah. But, you know, again, I mean, I've, I've seen younger people calling for, you know, assassinations and things like that, you know, but I was saying to one of them the other day, I lived through the Reagan assassination. That sort of canonized him in a lot of ways that we didn't expect, you know, and right. to bring it a little bit back to magic, I think that as a magical practitioner, that's one of the things we always need to be mindful. You know what I mean? When I have students, they start out and they don't ask for anything because they might ask for something that's dangerous and is not what they wanted in the end. You know what I mean? Just because somebody mm -hmm. gets shot doesn't mean that's the end of things. You know, I wish it was, but you know, that that's not necessarily always how it goes. So I think, you know, just personally and magically, I always try and put in their heads that we need to be mindful of what's the best possible outcome and pray for that and work for that as opposed to, you know, this, that, or the other thing that we could be praying for that we think is the solution because put it in the hands of the gods, the goddesses, the loa, the Orisha, we allow them to determine what's the best possible outcome for this situation because we don't know all the variables. And that and assassinating Donald Trump doesn't fix anything really anyways. It just, no, you know, there's still going to be, yeah, there's still going to be racism. There's still going to be bad government. There's still going to be all this shit that we're used to. And you've 
basically turned him into a martyr, which you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, usually on the show, I like to talk to people about, you know, how their beliefs developed, you know, how they progressed to get to where they are now. And you and I have never had that conversation. I've known you for like 10 years now, I think. And I'm probably longer than that longer. because you've been going to Brushwood for a long time. Yeah, 25 years, and they had the hands up last year. Yeah, it was like, oh, geez, my hand is still up. It's one of, like, three people at this event that's been going since it began, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that wasn't my first event either, so I've been around a long time. It just um, makes me think that you started everything at age 12, you know. Uh, I'll throw that in there because you're kind of ageless. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Don't feel like it this week, but, yes, I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, I started, I mean, my parents named me Lilith. That's always the question I get in the chat rooms or whatever when I'm on a show because they think I took the name. I don't have anything against people who take magical names, but, you know, this is the one my parents gave me. And uh, they didn't really, I mean, they knew about the goddess, but they named me more after the movie with Gene Seberg and Warren, introducing Warren Beatty, which, uh, if you haven't seen it, is a trip. But anyway, (laughs) um, so, I, you know, I grew up with sort of a respect for nature, respect for the goddess and those kinds of things, not a traditional spirituality. Even though I went to Lutheran school, that was just because that was the best school in Brooklyn that my parents could afford to send me to, you know. And uh, so I did get a lot of early, like, Christian dogma. One of my favorite stories is about how I was four years old. They put me, pre-kindergarten, they put me on stage in the nativity play as Mary, and they gave me a real baby. Now I think about it, and I sat there for two hours with this real baby and took care of it, <laughs> which just trips me out now because I would not give a four-year-old a real baby on stage for two hours. Know. You know, it's just nuts. Was the baby but, quiet? Uh, There's so many questions now. Like, was the yeah, baby, the baby quiet? quiet? I kept the baby quiet. Yes, I kept the baby entertained and quiet and, like, bounced it on my leg and gave it a pacifier and whatever I needed to do. I mean, I remember it because I remember being, like, on in that moment, you know, and also this whole right. cult of the Madonna and all of those kinds of things I felt like was going through my head even though I was really young. I mean, they get that in you really young. So I had this kind of divine feminine idea of her, you know, that uh, – and it was run by Norwegians of all things. So if anybody ever runs into me and wants to drink and talk about Norwegian ideology, I'm all up for that. But um, so, but you know, so I had that kind of thing, and I was always doing those. You know, I grew up on TV and Bewitched and all of that, and I was always doing spells in the living room and trying to conjure up stuff in the bathroom when nobody was paying attention. You know, I would get in trouble for like you know having little elemental fires in the sink and stuff. You know. <laughs> They were drunk. They weren't paying any attention to me. So this is what I did. So, <laughs> so you know, but I mean, I, and then when I got into, started out making films and experimental films and stuff like that, they were always sort of in a Maya Darren kind of on the edge of spirituality kind of topics, but not necessarily like a narrative documentary, more experimental and trying to get the feeling of the kind of magic and transformation that can come through music and dance and art and things like that. And, then when I got pregnant with my daughter, Aria, I had to drop out, and I went and I studied anthropology, and I had the worst Eurocentric, bald, white male, you know, teacher that anybody ever had as the head of the anthro department, and he told me there was no such thing as magic, 
There was no such thing as divination in the United States. It was all like, you know, hucksters and like folklore from the past. And he was very like, you know, dismissive of it. And like, just, and I just was like, through this, I'm so tired of hearing this story that there's nothing good that's African, that there's nothing good that's African-American, that there's nothing good that's alternative, you know, non-Christian spirituality going on in this country. So I really started to write about it. I started to, I did the Oshun newsletter, which was the first thing we did. And uh, that was, you know, we were handing out free copies everywhere and libraries had it. And, you know, we had some contact with some notables and stuff. And I was really proud of that work because there wasn't anything out there for free at that time. This is, you know, we had the, we had the first Voodoo website, but, you know, we had no traffic and and then I couldn't afford to keep going, but (laughs) we did have the first of a lot of things, you know, back in the early nineties and stuff like that, you know, And once I started writing, then I was really fortunate enough to meet Louis Martinet, my priest at the Voodoo Spiritual Temple, and Priestess Miriam Tamani at the Voodoo Spiritual Temple, and I've been with them for 28 years. So, you know, they had their 30th anniversary uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Happy anniversary, Miriam. And uh, it was a beautiful thing. And I just sort of started studying with her, and, and then I went on. After my, it was funny because I feel like I have to tell this part because people are like, "Oh my gosh, she does Santeria, New Orleans voodoo, and Haitian voodoo." Like she just doesn't know what the hell is up. She's some crazy dilettante. (laughs) (laughs) What happened was I was doing the New Orleans voodoo, and at the time I was living in New England, and Miriam was down here in New Orleans. So you know, I really only saw her a couple of times a year that I could afford because I don't have that much money. Small children, and so after my youngest daughter was killed. They, I was working at a UU church teaching like intro to tarot and intro to astrology and stuff like that. And, and they said, oh, we got a new minister in the church. She's a Haitian mambo and a master drummer. And she went to Harvard Divinity and we think you'll like her. So, <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, you know, I never really initiated anybody or, or had any formal students like that. But, you know, if it's something you're interested in. So, you know, me and my daughter, we went and we got initiated in, at, the, at least the very beginnings in Haitian Vodou from uh, Roman Bobani Devlin, who more people know as a drummer. That's why I brought that up. And then, you know, I also needed some things done for justice. And I had a good friend, Yeye Oshun Olukari Alaye, who I had known from going to Brushwood and other festivals like that, who was like, well, I know you need justice after the murder of your daughter. You know, there's some things we do in Santo and Lakumi that I think might be able to help, you know. And uh, while we didn't end up getting, you know, bazillion dollars because of the way we were wronged, at least we did win the case we got to change the law which was much more important to me at the time that other people could get justice and what had happened to us wasn't going to continue so it really wasn't that I was hopping from tradition to tradition I just I just want to make that clear because I think people don't really understand that when they read my bio and it's, it's way too lengthy to go into you know unless I'm like on a show and somebody nice like you is letting me talk <laughs> Well, this is this is great. These are like my favorite kind of shows, you know. I can just sit back and and drink whiskey and be and be entertained, you know. But oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, no, I, I only have people on who I think are going to be, you know, that I know are good at these things, you know. Yeah, and I know we can talk when it's for bad. hours. I mean, I know you're the it. host. Yeah. So you can't say that, but, you know, if I'm listening to it, or, or even if, and you're a great host, but, like, as some hosts, I'm like, oh, geez, I need a drink. So, 
Now, I've had, like, the guests where you ask them a question, and then they go, yes, that's it. You know, and then they don't say anything else. And you ask them, you have to ask them, like, 150 questions the whole show, you know, because each answer is a is is nothing. You know, just four, four words is not really an answer. You know, but I just assume that you were involved in lots of things because you know lots of people, and you, you know, you have deep interest in all of these things. It would never occur to me that you were tradition hopping or something of that nature. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I got a lot of haters, so I think they say whatever they want to say to try and bring me down, you know, but... Unlike a lot of people, you know, I mean, my Santo Priestess, Yeo Chun, she just passed uh, two years ago, Salon. And, uh, but, you know, I was with her until the end. You know, the, my other priestesses, I'm still, you know, they're still my priestesses. They're still my mambo, you know. So I, I have a good connection to these people. It really is like family, you know, and uh, I would never not give them the respect and honor that they deserve. Well, you know, if you have haters, that usually means you're doing something right. You know, it's it's the people who are universally loved you should worry about. No, that's true, because then I feel like, you know, that, that's the saccharine ridiculousness that, uh, you know, that's one of the things I didn't put in the racism post today. You know, I had somebody say, you know, I said, well, well then why don't you make a statement? Because so many people are doing this now. Like, why don't you just make a statement saying you're in support of this, you know? And uh, they said, well, I have customers on both sides of the fence. And I thought, well, but so what? You know, <laughs> like, I mean, really? Like, really? You can't, you can't make a Black Lives Matter support statement because you might have some people that are, you know, I don't know, Confederate Nazis that are buying your product. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I know Republicans probably buy some of my books, but fuck that. I mean, I Black Lives Matter and... I'm going to say that, and I don't understand having to waffle like that, you know. I mean, there's there's clearly right and clearly wrong in this case. You know, when George Bush says something that you fucking agree with, I mean, you're like, wow, you know, maybe maybe this time. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, you know. I mean, and, and I don't, you know, I, I honestly don't know how to respect someone like that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just... This, this is too extreme now at this point, you know, and I, 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 I'm too old. Let's, let's just put it that way. You know, <laughs> I'm too old and I'm too tired to really just swallow this stuff anymore. You know? So you're talking of kind of about, you know, your secret superhero origin story. So you've you've lived. And I know that you're really active in the world of New Orleans voodoo, but also Haitian voodoo. What are the, the biggest differences between those two practices? Um, it's interesting because it, it's it's hard to explain because in some ways it's always changing and transforming. And I think that because it's a lot more open now than it was, you know, 30 years ago when I started. That there are things that are definitely more coming to light and more accepted and you know, I don't think it's it's a lessening of tradition. I think it's a transforming of tradition because circumstances have transformed. But that said, I mean, if we're, New Orleans voodoo is sort of a gumbo. You know, there were Haitians in the area. There were, you know, when I first began at the New Orleans Voodoo Spiritual Temple, there were two drummers there, Luis Nunez, who wrote a book called Santeria, and another, it was like, it was hilarious. It was like, there was Luis, Luis, and Luis. 
So <laughs> there were two Louises <laughs> and a Louis. <laughs> and both of the Louises were also Santeros, and they'd come to the temple to worship and honor and drum and things like that. So there was a lot of things where they would come and they would bring some of their traditions from having bembes and, and things like that. So in our house here in New Orleans, we have things where we'll, we'll honor, you know, this particular Loa or this particular Orisha because it ha- we had individual members, contributors, you know, Priest Ashwan was from Belize. He was a uh, Obeah man. So he had different traditions. So, there were a lot of different blending of traditions that come together. Um, and, you know, there's some houses in New Orleans that are definitely more Haitian-influenced, you know, and they have more Haitian practices. It just happens to be here in New Orleans. There are some that are, you know. <laughs> I, there's, there's an entry for the original Dr. John Montagny, who was Marie Laveau's drummer, for those of you who don't know anything about him. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, compilation about him done by Black Moon Publications, which is Louis Martinet's um, publishing company. There's Peace by Me, there's Peace by Uchu, there's a bunch of pieces by Louis. Fantastic. Anyway, so, but when he's listed in the census in the late 1800s, they list him as doctor, and then in quotation marks it says quack. So I think that, you know, there was definitely a lot of derision and things like that, but even now there yeah. are people that, like, I would cock my head at and call them a quack that are operating here in New Orleans. You know, I won't name any names because, you know, I haven't had enough whiskey. Let me drink some more. But uh, I got a solicitation. <laughs> this is what is annoying me so much this week. I got a solicitation from a priestess here in New Orleans that uh, she wanted me to take her intro to New Orleans voodoo class. It was an ad. She sent this what? like two days ago. <laughs> you know, she could ask as, you to teach the class. That that might be as, acceptable. As, Yes. It wasn't even just, I mean, it didn't just show up in my, no, she sent this as like a direct message to me on IG. So (laughs) I was drinking, I'm here in New Orleans now. We were at Melba's, this two for one daiquiris last night. So we were drinking daiquiris and I send her this message that says, why do you think I need this? (laughs) I got a lot of daiquiris (laughs) with a bunch of question marks. I'm guessing the response was silent. No. No. She sends back the most condescending message about, I'm sure you teach classes on New Orleans voodoo, too. It went out to everybody in my mailbox, and we have to do what we can during these times to promote ourselves because we can't be on the road and uh, stay safe and pray for justice. I know, silence, Uh crickets, crickets. I, I never like and then I get this. I'm just, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just somebody who hates that blanket like social media invite to things. Like I invited all my friends to do this. Like you know, Jason, do you really want to join the Northern Maine Pagan Association? No, I do not. I do not live in Northern Maine. You know that sort of thing. It's, it's the same. Yeah. Like you know, let's yeah. ask everybody to take my class because I want money. You know, I get that a lot too. But yeah, that, yeah. That, and I mean, yeah. like, I don't think I, you're my friend. I've never sent you to Jason, take my class, you know? No. <laughs> I mean, like, I just feel like it's bad form, you know, not to mention bad marketing, you know? Like, clearly, I don't, I don't want to take your clearly any money out of me, lady, you know? <laughs> 
I can't wait to find out who this time Ari and I are in New Orleans because I'm going to file this away and then, you know, I'll buy you several daiquiris and we'll talk about this in a, in a like less nice way. (laughs) I'll just say she's done events with us down here and she does not anymore. So anybody who wants to get extra sleuthy special about it can figure it out. There are people already clicking away on Google. So you just moved to New Orleans like two, two weeks ago. Right. And before that, you'd lived your, most of your life in Brooklyn. Yeah. Before yeah. that, you'd lived most of your life in Brooklyn, right? So yeah, everybody. Yeah, I was gone for a while, but then I came back. <laughs> yeah. Everybody I meet but from yeah, the was... New York area has a special attachment to New York, and especially to the borough that they grew up in. Do you have that with Brooklyn? Oh, yeah, definitely. Brooklyn represent. I was so... You know, I mean, I love New Orleans, and obviously I'm happy that I'm here, but, you know, I was really sad today that I wasn't there when everybody marched across the bridge after, you know, the memorial today, you know. Like, that that's one of my favorite things to do anyway. You know, I, th- I think I even did a couple of Booty Universe posts about it, like just how special I think the Brooklyn Bridge is and just the whole transformative energy of bridges and going over the Hudson and all these kinds of, like, urban magic things, you know. And uh, there's been some rough stuff, especially in my old neighborhood of Bed-Stuy, has been, uh, yeah, some really ugly things have been going on there. So, but yes, I'm a Brooklyn girl through and through, you know, uh, for the, for those Brooklynites out there, I was, which you would never know about me either, although you and I have discussed pizza, so you probably do know. I'm a quarter Sicilian, which my grandfather used to say, you know, can take over, because uh, Sicilians are like that. And... Um, <laughs> I grew up in Bay Ridge, like right down the street from uh, Vinnie Barbarino and, uh, you know, Saturday Night Feverland, you know. So oh, I my grew God. Up in I'm thinking welcome back to Yeah, yeah, that's, that's totally yeah. what I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. And when Ari so, yells at me yeah, for singing I, that song, I'll blame you later. It's like Lilith. It's Lilith's okay, fault. I know. Brooklyn in the house. Yeah, yeah. No, so... Uh, yeah, I grew up there, and uh, I left for a little bit when my daughter was young, and then we moved back when she was, I think, 11. So, um, And now she's, oh, I can't say how old she is, but uh, she's of a certain age. <laughs> she's been out of college for a while, let's just say that. <laughs> what is it about New York magically that captivates people so much, and what is it like? kind of like growing up in the magical community in New York City. Oh, my gosh. Do I have a story for you? You're lucky. This is my wittiness. Here we go. I didn't think I was going to be able to pull it out. But, okay, so I was on a panel discussion with somebody. Again, shall remain nameless, but I'll tell you later. Uh, <laughs> and they asked me with somewhat similar the same question, um, you know, what what is it about New York and all of that? And this person goes, the subway. And everybody in the room goes, ooh, ah, and starts clapping. And I'm sitting there like I've been fucking punked. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> this person is out of their mind. Like, what, has anybody been on the subway? It had, even before the virus, like every year they tested it, it had the bubonic plague on there. Like anybody who's been on there for more than five minutes, it's full of rats. There's mole people that live down there. Like the subway is, is a, it's an entity in and of itself. But it's a necessary evil. It is certainly not the best part of New York City by any means. I mean, I'm really fond of the parks. 
I really like Prospect Park. It was done by, you know, the same person who designed Central Park in Haitian Vodou. There's a large Haitian Vodou community around the park, and they consider that the dwelling place of Grand Bois, um, also called Ganja Bois for all you fellow smokers out there. And Ganja Bois, when you look at the Veve for Ganja Bois, his head is like a big smiley heart, and his fingers and his toes are like roots. So to me, it's just like such a beautiful, happy sort of agricultural bliss, joy image, that feeling that you get from Guamba. And in certain spaces in Prospect Park, you can get that. There's waterfalls. There's places where you won't see anybody for a really long time. You know, I mean, it really is a Golden Park slope. So, you know, I spent a lot of time in the park just, you know, being there and, and, you know, getting to really know it. So that would be one of my favorite things. I mean, I think also, I mean, my documentary about New Orleans voodoo was all about the water and the connection to the water in New York City and in New Orleans and how that really informs the voodoo tradition. And in the the documentary I made was called Bodies of Water. I made it a year before Katrina, which always makes me laugh. I'm like, wow, I made this whole thing about water. And uh, as you know, I have another book coming out after this one that just came out a couple of weeks ago. I have another book coming out later this year on water magic. So to me, those water sites are extra special and sacred. I was going to get a reading with a friend of mine who's a Babalawal, and uh, he runs a store called Caffeine Underground in Brooklyn. It's absolutely amazing. You know, he's doing what he can to, to you know, keep business going on. So if anybody, you know, wants to patronize him, that would be great. Uh, but we were crossing the Verrazano, and he was like, this is the place where the river meets the ocean. It's like where Ochun and Yamaya meet. And I was like, that's the most beautiful thing. You know, I grew up near there, but it never really occurred to me that magically that was the energy of the space, that this was this like rare, unique spot where the river actually meets the ocean. It's the blending of those two, you know, things both in that same place. So I like that, you know. Well, with the I mean, COVID, I think about... Yeah, the people. Sorry. <laughs> no, you know when I think about like America's greatest cities, you know, you know for whatever reason, you know, they're all a lot of them are near water because that makes sense from a transportation standpoint. But a lot of them really seem to reflect the water that they are near. You know, like Chicago being near Lake Michigan, for example. I mean, it just if somebody lived in Michigan, the state. You know, they just it seems to sort of embody that. And then you have the Pacific Ocean out here. And I assume that messes with what we do in mostly a good way, you know. But that whole river meeting the sea and the two uh, Loa just being together, that was beautiful. That's really beautiful imagery. I'm going to use that on Ari later tonight, I think. But, you know, she doesn't listen yeah, to the show. Is. She won't know where I got it. <laughs> no, it is. It's really intense. And when you, I mean... When you get a divination in Lakumi, they tell you, you know, what Orisha you are. And there's a specific path of Ochun that's like called Dos Aguas. That's both Ochun and Yamaya together. So it's like there really is a specific path of the Orisha that does manifest in sites that are like this, you know. So the way the tradition is, if you find the site, then the Ashe or the sacred energy is there. So, you know, that it was just again, like such an aha moment, you know what I mean? It was like, I all, I knew it, but until that moment, it didn't click in my head that this is what this was, you know? Well, I mean, you, know, you grow we, up with it in your backyard, obvious. you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that you have a book coming out soon, but you just released a book. I think it came out, like, what, officially a week ago? It's 
Um, May 11th. I don't even know what. Yeah. Yeah. Was it May 11th? Yeah, that was the official release date. Yeah. Every day feels like the same now. You know, it's like I don't know what day of the week it is anymore. I don't know the date. No, 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 it was fuzzy before, you know, and, and then, uh, we lost my brother-in-law, um, not to COVID, but he had a heart attack, unfortunately. So that sort of, you know, when somebody passes unexpectedly, that messes with the days. And then I moved that messes with the days and now the riots is messing with the, I have no idea. I have no idea what's happening. Even my wife is home more now, and, like, that totally confuses me because she's supposed to be gone Monday through Friday, and now she's, like, home two days a week, so I don't know what's going on. But in May, uh, you just released Orishas, Goddesses, and Voodoo Queens, the Divine Feminine and the African Religious Traditions. I was a big fan of your uh, Voodoo and Afro-Caribbean Religions book that came out, like, like I just looked it up 15 years ago. That made me feel like I I'm 97. Know. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it was that long ago. I was overjoyed no. uh, to see you kind of returning to this sort of uh, writing. So what was the process for this book? Uh, when when was the decision made that, like, I have to write this book? I think, you know, it's such a cliche, but I feel like I always wanted to write this book. And this was, you know, it was like, oh, maybe this would sell better. Or, oh, maybe this would sell better. You know what I mean? And, and people who are unfamiliar with the p- publishing process maybe don't realize <laughs> This is a thing, but it is a thing. (laughs) They're magical books, and none of them sell that many copies. Well, yeah, that's that's the bottom line of it all. But, yeah, again, that's something most people aren't aware of either. But, yeah, I think that I did always want to write it because I always wanted to write something that came from a place of feminine empowerment through the Orisha and the Loa and and the goddesses and, and how people could you know, of all genders, you know, recognize that in themselves and use that to help recognize their strengths that might have been thought of as weaknesses, but in reality were really so much more powerful, you know, and and coming from a goddess tradition, I know, you know, like you totally grok what I'm saying here about this, you know, but it was, it was all basically, you know, most of the texts that you can find out there are not, focusing on the African and African-American goddesses and Loa and Orisha. And uh, that's something I always really wanted to do. And then I also wanted to put in recipes, which, you know, was a struggle for a while. And, uh, you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to put in there that I had to really prove myself and convince the powers that be that this was something that would be really, let me do what I want. I promise it'll be good. <laughs> well, the books are usually the better if they good, let us but, do what yeah. we want. The yes. books are better when they yes. let us do what we want. Yeah, I wish they realized that more often. No, I know. Was, I mean, and I'm I'm certainly not ungrateful. I'm just saying that this is part of the process, and this was really something that I wanted to write. Even 15 years ago, you know, I mean, the only reason I wrote Voodoo and Afro-Caribbean Paganism was because, you know, I got tired of answering all the questions about what's a zombie what's a voodoo doll you know yeah. all these things over and over again and i thought if i put it in a book then i wouldn't have to answer the questions <laughs> but anyway well it probably <laughs> saved you from a couple of like text messages or emails from me so mission accomplished there every book to oh, me okay, always feels good. like a journey yeah every book to me always feels like a journey you know like i'm going to learn something while i'm writing the book even if i think i know 
exactly what I'm doing. I'm probably still going to learn something. Was there anything in the process of writing the book where you're like, whoa, motherfucker, that's amazing? Oh, yeah, there were a lot of things. There were a lot of things. I mean, I have only been to a handful of Haitian Vodou ceremonies. So some of the things when I was, particularly relevant at this time, when I was, you know, looking into the different rituals and traditions for Azuli Danto or the various manifestations of Azuli Danto was the seven stabs. And there's a possession manifestation that she has where she goes out and it's like fight club. She just stabs herself a whole bunch of times, usually like multiples of seven, just to be like, you think you're going to fuck me up? I'm going to fuck myself up. (laughs) That was just really like it, this. Talk about feminine power, you know. And and she's a protector of abused women and you know marginalized folk and all of those things, you know. So it just really is this kind of like fierce energy. And I put a lot of that, you know, into the book too. You know, a lot of the stuff about Annie Christmas, who was, you know, a, I know this is, has a negative connotation, but I don't really have another word for it. Sort of a folk hero here in New Orleans. I would mm-hmm. say a uh, actual human being who was, you know, now sort of deified into a goddess almost because she had all of these fantastic qualities. Again, she was a protector of, you know, women and it it was said that she would, you know, beat up people's abusive spouses or boyfriends or things like that. And then, you know, the legend is that she actually saved a bunch of people by, you know, captaining a steamboat on the Mississippi and like all these things that are not traditionally thought of as female, certainly not in the 1800s and and early 1900s, you know, where these domains that she traveled in. And it was just, it's so fascinating to me, you know, because a lot of this gets lost. When I was looking into it, there was really only a handful of things that people said about her, you know, it was kind of like, it was a Paul Bunyan type worksheet for like, I think the third grade right. about like color in Annie Christmas. This is her on the billboard <laughs> Annie. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, all right. This is what we got. Yeah. Yeah. It's a start. Yeah. It's a start. It's a start. I mean, I, li- I like the fact being, you know, I don't want to say marketed, but, you know, made available to children. I just wish it was a little bit more genuine, you know, it was a little bit more realistic. But, you know, that's the history of, of you know, black women in America. We got marginalized, you know, sometimes out of existence, you know. So the fact that she made it through is, is a testament to her life and her legacy. I was going to say, it's like it needs to be a movie, right? I mean, there's so oh, much definitely. television now, right? I mean, we could do nine episodes of this on Netflix. Seems timely. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of yeah. those, you know what I mean? I would love to see a Queen Nanny documentary. I write a lot about Queen Nanny in the book of Jamaica. You know, people know her as Nanny of the Maroons, you know, and, and she really captained these, you know, free slave bands, people, you know, Maroon people, you know, that were hiding out in the woods. And there's all these strange things about, like, this is a sacred well for her. That, and then it was said she used to fire bullets out her asshole. Like, there's all this thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Like, yeah. I want to see that in like a third grade film strip. Yeah, yeah. We met you. Yeah, talk a little, you know, stuff. You know, we're talking a little bit about TV and stuff, and you know, it's been several years since American Horror Story Coven, but I mean, it's still something that comes up a lot in the witch world. Were you, how did you feel about the portrayal of Marie Laveau in that show? 
I mean, again, I feel like if the only positive thing it did, I really truly feel like, is that it allowed more people to know the name of Marie Laveau. She was already the second most visited grave in the country, you know, after Elvis, which I always thought was amazing. Um, But that now, but the conception and the portrayal of her, I felt was really lacking. I felt it was demonized. I felt it was, you know, all the things you always get about Buddha, hyper-sexualized, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with sex, but I think when we throw it into these contexts that make it a whole nother thing, you know, I mean, Angela Bassett is hot. There's no question about that. But does it have to be this thing where we only see her as this highly sexualized voodoo priestess that then gives rise to voodoo priestess Halloween costumes and, you know, all these other stereotypical misconceptions that I think are really damaging because, People are not going to necessarily, I mean, how many people, no offense to you or anybody else who buys a book or listens to anything I do, you know, that's going to be a way smaller audience. So this is going to be most people's exposure to Marie Laveau, and it's wrong. And people have real problems separating, you know, television from reality, you know. And uh, I have, uh, well, I almost finished my undergrad in film. They said I could go back one day. I'll call Spike Lee about it because he's the head of the film department at NYU, <laughs> see if I can go back. But um, then I went on to get my grad degree in cinema studies. So a lot of the work I did was about representation of voodoo in film. You know, yes, I covered, you know, Maya Darren and Neil Hurston's films and stuff like that, but I also covered things that were, you know, televisual representations. You know, Miami Vice and things like that about voodoo that were just so sensationalized ridiculous about voodoo and that's what people see and that's what they think is real you know and it's it's disgusting honestly because people don't think past that you know well i mean my wife watches american horror story every year and sometimes i watch along with her i mean the first act is always interesting and then it just goes down the rails from there you know once we got to the i love marie laveau she has a shrine in my office like I love New Orleans. I'm glad that you live there. I have another excuse to go there, um, and yeah, actually, yeah. Ari likes you. I know. I like Ari house. likes you too. She hates everybody. So you know, it's like we could go see Lilith. That's the selling point to her. But I mean, it, but we're watching that show, and like you know, Angela Bassett stealing babies and shit is Marie Laveau. And like, if you know anything about the history of Marie Laveau, the person. You know, she was an exemplary human being, you know, just giving and loving of all these, you know, of everybody. And to see that kind of shit always, like, to see her always portrayed that way is just so frustrating. No, it is. There were so many amazing things that she did. She did work with prisoners. She did work with indigenous you know, Louisiana tribes. She she had a camp in her backyard for indigenous people to come if they were, you know, didn't have a place to stay. Like, it was just amazing, all the things that she did, all her philanthropic efforts. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of it's sensationalized because, you know, that's what you got at the time, really, especially, you know, a lot of the knowledge from that time comes from the WPA and, and some of those programs where they went around and they just asked people about the different practices and Marie Laveau and, you know, and things like that. But she, she's definitely a legend here in the city. You know, I mean, you can't swing a cat without claiming a bunch of people. To, oh, that's my cousin, you know. So, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, 
you know, no, I mean, I, I think the thing that I find so ironic is I think the truth is much stranger and more beautiful than they choose to portray on TV. And that's what I just think is ridiculous because if you bothered to find out that she's making psychedelic mushroom gumbo and trying to feed it to prisoners on death row. And then there's one story about like, light, she made a lightning strike out of the sky and break the noose. And, <laughs> but then they hang the guy the next day anyway, but <laughs> they got 24, you got an extra 24 hours. Okay. You know, sometimes it's all you can hope yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. You can only do it. It's another one of those TV shows that like is crying to be made properly. No, of course, of course, you know, and uh, I mean, I hope it happens. I I know uh, Rachel True was talking to me about somebody who was trying to do something with her. I thought that would be beautiful. Thought that would really be be beautiful. But she friended me on Facebook. I got like all or on Twitter. She like followed me on Twitter, and I got like all excited. You know, I'm such a little fanboy pathetic um so I like too. She came up to me she was like i don't know if you know who i am i'm like oh my god of course i know who you <laughs> <laughs> i love you you're amazing oh, yeah. you're used to hanging out with celebrities so that's a great way to kind of go into the next thing you choreographed for dr john like the dr john the the rock star yeah 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 but Orleans institution how did that come about uh, my best friend is in the backyard painting my cabinets. Um, she called me up because uh, she was close with him, and uh, she said that he was looking for a dancer and a choreographer for his Night Trip Rudy show. They could not find the woman who had done it originally. I did have somebody come up in my face like, oh, she's right here. And I'm like, I'm sorry. They tried. They looked for her. They couldn't find her. It wasn't my job to find her. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take a chance. But uh, <laughs> Because someone had done it in the 70s, you know. So when I did it in uh, the late 2000s, 20, I think the last time I did it was 2012, 2013, something like that. But anyway, um, so she called me up and she said they were looking for a dancer and a choreographer. And I thought about it for five minutes. And, you know, I had always been a dancer and also a choreographer. I mean, it wasn't my primary thing. You know, I focused on film and, and because of Maya Darren and, and Thorne Neal Hurston, I really focused on dance and film. That was really my sort of voodoo dance and film. If I could have a teeny little subset, that's what I focused on. And, um, you know, so I was like, well, maybe I could do it, you know. And I went and I met with him and I, I talked about how some of the early dances that they used to do in Marie Laveau's time, like the Yon were all about resistance and coded messages and things like that. And I showed him some of the moves that I'd researched. You know, some I studied with um, some of the Catherine Dunham trained dancers. She was also a uh, voodoo priestess and uh, she did a lot of dances and film. And then, you know, she taught at her own school for decades. So I did some of those and he was like, that's great. <laughs> and then he said, it's all good as long as all your clothes come off. Now, you know, you and I have definitely been to clothing optional events. I usually keep my clothes on. I don't have any problem with taking my clothes off. You know, I think human body is a lovely and beautiful thing. And But I was like, at the time, I was 40, and I had two kids, or 35 or some, something like that. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know if everybody wants to see all of that. <laughs> so I asked his manager, I was like, well, do I have to take my clothes off when I get up there? <laughs> This is what I'm not going to do. And they were like, no, don't worry about it. 
we used to have vice we used to close us down in the 70s we don't want vice closing us down again keep your clothes on it's okay <laughs> don't worry about it like i'll take the heat for you I'm like okay this is good okay so <laughs> so yeah it was it was just amazing i mean we did jazz fest and bonnaroo and i know so many people had a hard time with jazz fest shelter in place this year but it was so special for them to they played the uh set that matt did the year that I was on tour with him for Jazz Fest. So that was just so beautiful to be able to hear that, you know, and to remember being there. I think it was 2006, 2007, something like that. I don't even know what day it is today, so, but whatever. <laughs> None of us know anymore. I mean, they just all bleed into the yeah. next. It's another day spent yeah. at home. <laughs> so that's all I, I know. So much. Yeah, right. No, I dedicated the book to him because when I gave him my first book, you know, he said to me, he was like, you know, well, the dancing and everything, I'm not going to try and do his voice because I can't, but the dancing and everything is, is wonderful and that's beautiful, but this is what's really what it's all about, the book, the writing, you know. So for me, being able to tell the truth of my experience, both as like an academic and a practitioner and, and a performer was so important. You know, because I might be able to go on stage at Bonnaroo in front of, I don't know how many people were there. It's all big blur. Thousands. <laughs> like 100,000 people or something. Huge. Okay. Whatever. And that that's a lot of people, but then the words are going to live on forever. You know what I mean? And I think that, and when we lost him in June, it was such a, I mean, I'd like to say it was a complete surprise. I mean, you know, he wasn't. A young man, so you know nobody's going to live forever. But uh, I, I really thought I was going to, you know, my plan was to move down here, and I really thought I was going to be able to see him again. You know, I got to tell him I loved him, you know, on the phone, and that was really special. And we got to go to the service and everything. You know, I got to hear Cyril Neville say that this man right here is the reason that black people and white people are on stage together in New Orleans. You know, and it just made me so happy that I could be part of his life, you know, and just, but even the smallest of ways. He was wonderful. Just, like, you live, like, such a cooler life than I have, you know. Like, I saw Vince Neil of Motley Crue, like, wasted at a casino. That's, like, as close as I've come to anything of value or interest, and that's not really of interest to most people, and it's certainly not of any value, you know. The... The Dr. John stuff always gets me because it's just so, like, Ari and I just think it's so fucking cool. Um, so we've got about I did have a lot minutes. of luck with greatnesses. Wait, i got to tell you. I know. Greatness. So, so I was always <laughs> a deadhead. You're in California. So I was always a deadhead. And, you know, I did tour when my daughter was little and things like that and everything, you know. But I never got backstage while Jerry was alive. And then a good friend of mine who was a pagan, Chris Norton, he had a stage when uh, Mark Karen was touring and for Jerry and everything like that. So I got to go backstage and meet, you know, Bobby and Phil. And, like, I'm sitting there with Bobby singing Little Red Rooster. (laughs) (laughs) It was, like, the most surreal moment that, like, ever. It was just nuts. It was nuts to just be backstage partying with them. It was just like, what the hell? Like, but I was still sad that Jerry wasn't there, you know. No offense to Mark or anything like that, but, you know, well, that really would have been like, my dream. I mean, Jerry was most of the dead anyways, right? He and Bobby. 
Yeah, more. yeah. I yeah. mean, and it was fun singing with Bobby, but, you know, I was, I, honestly, no offense to Bobby, but I was never a real big Bobby fan. <laughs> I would always go, like, whatever, go get some air or something when Bobby was doing his moments, you know, during the show. So. Like, if I have a favorite Dead song, it's Ripple, and that had nothing really to do with Bob Ware. That's, really? that's a, Jerry, a Jerry song all the way. That is. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. It's like like one of my summer songs. You know, it's like when, you know, June's here and I want to play Ripple. Yeah, such a beautiful song. So your your next book that's coming out is called Air Magic, right? No, it's not Air Magic. No, it's Water Magic. Water Magic. Well, this is what happened, you know, when the four fingers of whiskey have been, like, consumed. I get you and Australia's <laughs> fucking mixed up. I have four fingers of whiskey, too, man. No, it's water. I was just going to say I should do, like, a water playlist and put Ripple on it for the water magic Yeah, book, you should. You know? Yeah. When it comes yeah, out, for yeah. sure. So when does water magic Definitely. come out? Uh, I think right now it's scheduled for October 8th, I believe. So it's a little while, but people can pre-order it. You know, people can pre-order it. And uh, I'm going to be doing, you're part of that LunaCon too, right? I'm going to be doing a workshop on it at LunaCon soon, whatever. The whole LunaCon thing is like such a random assortment of Llewellyn writers. Like, it's like, how did I get chosen for this? I have no idea, you know, because it's like half the people that we know aren't doing it, right? It's so weird. No, I know. I was. I did think it was weird. I did think it was weird, the people that were on there. But, you know, whatever. I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy to promote my shit, that's for sure. But, I mean, it was like, you know, yeah. Beckett is, John Beckett isn't on that thing. And, you know, oh, a, you know, just a lot of the people that, Laura Tempest Zakroff isn't on that, you know. Just really oh, wow. kind okay. of yeah yeah it's just sort of strange and random like who was there and who was not I guess it's the best of the best now I'm gonna be in trouble with all yeah, the rest I of the people feel like I mean we're both doing events that have a considerable number of presenters you know this summer I mean we're not just doing LunaCon we're, I mean are you doing I'm doing Sirius online. You know, um, I'm not. I guess I could yell at them because I would certainly be involved. I love Brushwood. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They're still whatever, you know, for regular yeah. presenters. Um, I mean, I wanted to do my – that's where I do my – well, we dropped the cultural appropriation part of it. Now it's just a racism panel, you know, with uh, Roy Jones and uh, Fat Mandy. So we've been doing that cultural appropriation and racism panel for a couple of years, I th- and I think it's more important – now than ever, you know, we had all the stupid questions the first two years. We had, I don't see color, I just see Lilith, you know, where I, I don't want to hit somebody over the head with a chair. Um, and, uh, you know, it's okay to use the word gypsy and, and all these things that I really, really thought we were past in the community, and we're not, you know, and uh, it makes me freaking sad. So No, we're, we're really not. Yeah, like every time I go to an outdoor festival, and that was that serious last year, I'm always surprised, like, how it, sometimes it feels like it's stuck in 1995. Like, you know, we yeah. used words like shaman and gypsy then because we were 
kind of silly and didn't know really what we were doing. And, you know, that's mostly stopped now. But, you know, when I was there last year, I, I found a lot of that still. It was really sort of off-putting. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, there were certainly other, even other presenters that we called out that were using words like shamanism and vendors that were using words like gypsy. And, and, you know, I just don't think that's acceptable. I really, I really don't. And honestly, you know, I mean, I'd like to, you know, have a naivete in 95, but I didn't. I had Romani friends in 95 and I knew that gypsy was not something that you were supposed to call them. You know, so I, I just don't, I, it's unacceptable now at this point. And I don't see, I mean, I, I have people that I know that still do it and I just don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's hard whatever. because you don't think that they mean ill by it. And yet at the same time, they're not adapting, they're not changing, they're not accepting, you know, what they should not be doing, so to speak. Well, it's like so many of these conversations, you know, I feel like people want, that's why I broke the rant today, I feel like people want me to give them absolution. You know, oh, it's, it's, they're not really talking about you. Like, it's okay that you're doing this thing that's, you know, probably cultural appropriation or disrespectful or, you know, something that I'm not, I'm not going to sign off on, either publicly or personally, you know, and, and that's not something people want to hear, but I don't care. No, they're looking for <laughs> you for affirmation. Lilith said it was okay, so I can do this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. If the, and if they're asking for that, they know that it's wrong to begin with, right? That's, yeah, that's why I said, bitch, if the shoe fits, put it on. You know, I can't. You know, somebody said to me the other day, they're like, well, if they wanted to be really successful at, at you know, selling these, you know, saying African-American derived items, you know, they could work hard like I did. And I was just like, excuse me? Like, I just don't, I, the, the amount of white privilege that has to come from a statement like that is just, I don't even want to discuss it anymore, really. I just don't. There's no arguing with it because the person is not going to learn. Anybody who would make a statement like that is, in my opinion, I'm, I don't have the time and energy to waste on trying to teach them because it's futile. It is, but, you know, at the same time, hopefully, when when you do try to teach them somebody other than them and their, like, sphere kind of gets it, you know? But it shouldn't be up. It shouldn't, like, come down to you to educate the entire pagan community. And that's kind of one other question that I had for you. So several years ago, I gave you a horny award, which sounds like super dirty, like won an AVN award or something, you know, adult video news award. But you really do walk between two worlds because it, it feels like a lot of people in the voodoo world really don't have a whole lot of energy to give to like the greater pagan world, uh, probably because it has been so appropriate for so very fucking long. Uh, what is it like to navigate that little, that little path between those two places? It's hard. You know, I mean, I, I, my witty anecdote, I was the, somehow I ended up being the Haitian community reporter for Brooklyn for something called Challenges News, which was like a weekly newsletter or something for, in Haiti. <coughs> I don't know how this happened. Whatever. We take the gigs we take. Anyway, so. <laughs> but I don't speak Creole, and I'm not Haitian. 
And I told them this at the time. And I was like, there's got to be somebody better to take this job. I don't want to take this job. I don't want to be taking it away from a Haitian person. I'm going to be stigmatized walking in because I don't speak Creole. I'm probably going to be stigmatized walking in to some extent, especially with older people if I talk about voodoo or anything like that because that's not really something that a lot of older people like to discuss. You know, I went to <laughs> – I remember – we did, I think it's, you can see it online somewhere. We went and did this interview with this old Haitian artist who did landscapes. Can't remember his name, but it's on my YouTube somewhere. Me and my godson. And my godson at the end, I was like, look, don't ask him about voodoo. We're here doing a new gig. He paints landscapes, a port prince We're just going to do this. We're going to get out of here. <laughs> like, this is what we're doing. So then he starts going, so what do you know about voodoo? Like, we're packing up. And the guy's like, uh, well, I do remember I had a neighbor they used to grind up roaches and feed them to people. <laughs> I don't know if he was fucking with my godson, Saran. I don't know if he was fucking with both of us. I don't know if this is just the best voodoo story he had or if he just made it up. I, it, was just, it was hilarious. I was just like, okay, this, this is where we're at right now. You know, so my point about this was to some extent because I practice Haitian voodoo and I'm not a fluent Creole speaker, I, I'm, there's always going to be barriers, you know, I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, so there's always going to be barriers in Lukumi or Santo, you know, um, in New Orleans voodoo, a lot of New Orleans voodoo is full of haters, I mean, anybody who's in this town knows that, you know, probably because there's a lot of witches, probably because there's a lot of competition, probably because there's a lot of drinking, probably because there's a lot of insanity, you know, take your pick, and it's always going to be a little bit like cutthroat and stuff like that, so there's always going to be, I mean, I have great respect for you know, many of the priestesses in the town and I write about them in the book and things like that. You know, the people that I really do consider the real, you know, voodoo queens active in the city right now, you know, but there's definitely always that kind of jealousy and animosity just as in Marie Laveau's time, you know, you can see that. And, uh, you know, because I didn't live here until maybe, I don't know, eight days ago, you know, there was a lot of <laughs> where people viewed me as an outsider, you know, you feel like you've been in New Orleans for a long time, though. Like, walking around the city with you, like, you know it, like, inside and out. You're like, Jason, I'm going to be at this place. You know, this is where you should go and stuff. That whole weekend when we were just randomly – well, you were in town for reasons that were, you know, pure and true, and I was in town because I'm a whore and I was promoting a book. But St. John's weekend, like, what, two, two or three years ago. Oh, that you was know, beautiful. We had such a good time. Yeah, that was great. Sun pie. Oh, my gosh. That was <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. At the cigar bar. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, New Orleans, in a lot of ways, is a small town. I mean, it, it's definitely sinking in, even though I've been here only a short time since I moved in, that it's instead of a city of 8 million people, it's a city of, you know, under a million people, you know, and everybody seems to know each other here coming, you know, very often. Somebody asked me, oh, how often do you go? I think I was there five times last year, you know. So the fact that I go back and forth to New Orleans has always been a thing for me. I, I ran into a guy, I can't remember his name, Jay, I think. He wrote a book called From Brooklyn to Bywater, which is a neighborhood here in uh, New Orleans, which is actually only a mile from my house. I'm, like, right on the edge of the Bywater. So it was. It made me laugh because, like, there's definitely a very similar vibe 
between the two neighborhoods, between the two areas, between the two cities. You know, I, I think that they have a lot in common, and uh, it's one of the reasons I always felt at home here. They're both old cities. They're both really magical cities. They're both really urban. They both have a lot of black people in them. You know, I mean, the list goes on. We have, like, run over time, and, you know, usually I, like, I'm thinking, God, it's 6.50. I can get out of this in five minutes. You are someone I just love talking to so fucking much. I'm like, we could go. We could go another 30 minutes. But so as we kind of end the show, if people want to find out more about you, buy a book, et cetera, et cetera, where's the best place to go? Well, I usually tell them, and I manage to update it, the LilithDorsey.com website, like that has my books and my upcoming or most of my upcoming events. Um, people can follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, find me on all of those things. I usually do my best to post stuff um, regularly when I can. My blog, Voodoo Universe, they can find me there. Yeah, yeah. And they can always just email me too at Voodoo Universe at Yahoo.com if they want a reading or something like that. But, you know, if you have a question, maybe read her books first and get the answer in the books so you don't have to bug Lilith with the other stuff, which we went over 30 minutes ago. Well, I ago. don't want to sound hoity-toity. I, you know, I don't want to sound like blah, blah, blah. But I do get people ask. I, I get some weird no. questions. Um, no, trust I, me. I, got, I, got I get people it. Make my penis bigger. Did you ever get that one? Is there a matter spell to make my penis bigger? And then last week it was, is there a magic spell to change my gender? Which anything is possible, you know, possible. But, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there's a spell to help you on your way. Lilith, so much for being a part of the show. I'm I'm a big fan. You know, I I love you and adore you. Ari likes you. As I said, that's a huge thing in our house because she hates most people. So big deal. And hopefully. I love her too. Yeah, she came in for a minute, and I tried to have her say hello, but, you know, she didn't, like, want to interrupt. She's always very polite and very nice. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but she does. Thank you so much for having me on, man. No, it's so great to have you on here, and maybe we'll do it again when Water Magic comes out. said the right book that time. Yay, Jason. Uh, Yeah, in the fall. Uh, That would be really great. No, that's good. You yeah. gave me an excuse to drink my anniversary scotch that me and my partner Michael got, but he's not here, so I get to drink it by myself. <laughs> no, tonight, so, you know, it is Witch's Whiskey and Wit. You're drinking whiskey. You're drinking the Glen Morangi. It's the rum finish, I think, right? Uh, Hold on. Portcast finish. Portcast, yeah, that's good. We're our and our yeah, big fans. Yummy. Hopefully, we can get some sort of scotch to one day underwrite this podcast. That's probably not going to happen. They're probably going to want to run as far as they can. But you know, dreams, dreams are nice. <laughs> Lilith, thank Actually, you so I much. Ex What's that? Had, maybe you can get this. I had an ex who actually called me during this podcast, and his Scottish clan makes a blueberry single malt. It's called Singleton. Singleton. We know the Singleton. We drink the Singleton. I did not know it had blueberries in it. Well, that's fucking hilarious because he just called me during the podcast. And I was always like, I want to taste your family's scotch. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, you have like layers. It's like every time I talk to you, there's another layer. 
It's okay. Yeah, I'm just an, ex, an ex-boyfriend <laughs> who makes scotch, you know, no big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an interesting times over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tonight yeah, I might get a little bit. But anyway, we'll get drunk later and talk about it. Well, we'll get there. You know, we've got more of these to do. We'll get there. Okay. And tonight my guest has been Lil Dorsey, who is a witch, who has been drinking whiskey, who has been quite witty during this conversation, which is great because I have not. Next week we'll be joined by Misha Magdalene. We'll be discussing <laughs> their book, Outside the Charmed Circle. And then the week after that, Laura Tempest-Zakroff will be our guest and more and more. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Lilith for being here. Thank, thank you so much, Lilith. It's so cool to always talk to you because – I miss you, and the summer sucks. The summer sucks so bad. Uh, We'll see you all in a week. Thanks for listening. We're going to have virtual meet and greet. (laughs) We are, and I'll see you at Ludicon, Llewellyn's online event, which starts in about a week and a half. So, yeah, I'll see you there. Um, All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Jason Mankey. This is Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. My guest has been Lil Dorsey. You can you can check out Lilith's stuff by just entering Lilith Dorsey into Google. You'll come up with her website and other things. Please read all of her books. I'm a big fan. Everybody on the show I'm a big fan of, but especially Lilith. She's one of my favorites. We will see you next week. Thank you all so much. Good night. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.